Amen. Kids, up through fifth grade, you're dismissed. You can go ahead and head to your classrooms. For the rest of you, sixth grade and older, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 15. We're going to be in Romans 15 yet again. I wasn't planning on being in Romans 15 three out of the last four weeks, but here we are. Um, We're going to be at the beginning of Romans 15 this week, verses 5 to 7. Before we jump in, I just want to say uh, thanks for filling out those uh, response cards last week from Missions Month. Um, man, I was just so, uh, so encouraged by what the Lord did in this place over our, the last four weeks of the study of God's heart for the nations as we talked about our job and what's each of our role in uh, fulfilling the Great Commission that every single, one of us, uh, every single one of us has a part to play. And so I was really encouraged reading through your response cards this week and just seeing what the Lord has been doing in your hearts as well. So thanks for filling those out. And for a lot of you, you circled that you feel like you're an intercessor. You're called, you're, one of your roles is to be uh, someone who prays for those who go to the nations. And uh, I just wanted to say that we have the missionary prayer cards that they were supposed to be in last week, but had some printing problems and they're, they're here now. And they are right out by the missions wall on a table there. And so after the service, I just want to encourage you um, over the next couple weeks maybe to go out and just kind of look over them and and uh, choose one or maybe a couple but if there's maybe one missionary that the Lord's kind of drawing your heart to say you know I'm just going to be intentional about praying for this couple uh, or this family uh, so go ahead and grab one of those cards and then as a reminder too we're gonna we still have those uh, the unreached people groups cards that are in the bowl out there and just encouraging every single one of us uh to periodically grab one of those on your way out of church and uh, pray for uh, whatever people group is on that card and then just kind of, you just toss it and we'll just go through and going to try to pray for all the unreached people groups over the next, I don't know, might take us 10 years, but we want to get through all of them. And so I want to encourage you to do that. So I want to let you know what's coming up here at Rock Prairie Church. These next two weeks are a little bit of an interlude. So this week we're talking a bit about our church and kind of who we're called to be as a church and some of the things I think the Lord has laid on my heart, at least for us, the things for us to focus on uh, in this season as a church. And then next week, Pastor Jerry's going to preach on marriage, and we're going to continue to introduce uh, the very exciting Grace Marriage Ministry that hopefully you've been hearing a little bit about, and he's going to talk more about that next week. Uh, So really excited for him to share uh, on marriage next week and uh, some of the things he has to say. Uh, And then after that, we're going to be in the book of James, and that is going to take us up to Christmas, believe it or not. And then after that, for the OCD people in our congregation who are frustrated that we skipped or we left John halfway through, we're going to pick it up again. We're going to start in the second half of John, and Lord willing, but we're going to time it out so that we make it to the resurrection on Easter Sunday of 2022. Now, y'all know I'm going to miss it by like three or four weeks, but we're going to do our best to time it out just right. So that's uh, where we're heading uh, for the next season uh, as we leave Missions Month behind uh, where we're going as a church. So uh, this morning, I'm excited about what the Lord has for us. And so uh, please bow your heads with me and I'll pray, I'll pray and then we will begin. Well, Heavenly Father, God, we, um, we just thank you for the gospel this morning. You call us to build our lives on the gospel and that you promise it is a firm foundation. And if we build our lives on the gospel, we will not 
be shaken. What a promise, God. With so many things on this world calling us to build our foundation on them, things that are not firm, we thank you for the beacon of hope that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that as we look to your word this morning in Romans 5 and 7, 15, 5 through 7, and talk about what we're called to be as a church, I just pray that you would make these things more and more true of us as a body. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just to give you a little bit of insight on my uh, kind of sermon preparation schedule, how it all happens is usually on a good week by Wednesday, I try to have all my, uh, prepar- my kind of background research, my passage work um, finished and any kind of commentaries I'm reading. I try to get all that done by Wednesday. And then Thursday, if my schedule allows, I try to go off-site for a day. And so I can just kind of actually do the writing of the sermon. I write, I manuscript everything out. That's how I've always done it. And so I try to just get to a place where I can be free from distraction and just write it all out. So that's usually on Thursday. And so this Thursday, was I was following that schedule, and I was in one of my two secret places that I go to to do this. And um, I was just sitting down with my Bible. And kind of had some commentaries out on this, kind of splayed out on this table. And a guy walks by and he sees my Bible and he's just kind of like, hey, what are you doing? And so we strike up a conversation and tell him, you know, I'm a pastor and I'm writing a sermon. And he a, was a pastor as well. And so he, we were just making small talk and he ended up sitting down and we were just talking to each other for a while. And after we got through the pleasantries, you know, where's tipped in, all that kind of stuff, then uh, he, uh, he was just sharing a little bit with me about the season that he's been walking through as a pastor, and he said it's been really hard for him. He said he was actually just getting back from taking six weeks off because he was really right on the edge of burnout in ministry, and he felt like if he didn't take that time away, he wouldn't be in, uh, still been in ministry. He said he was so grateful to his church for allowing him to do that because he has, he, he had moved here from somewhere else, and he said he had a lot of friends from that place that he moved here from who were pastors who actually were not in ministry anymore. They burned out of ministry, and so um, he was just thankful to do that, but he said just with the combination of the uncertainty with COVID and just the world right now, and combined with just a lot of people who'd left his church, and attacks and accusations just from all sides, you know, all these things, and uh, just difficulties going on in his home as well, he said it's just kind of all snowballed to this point where he really was just just kind of right on the edge of burnout. He didn't feel like he had anything left to give. And he was just kind of, he, he was not sharing these things like inappropriately. He was really sharing these things like to, to be an encouragement to me almost just like, how are you doing? <laughs> it's a hard season right now. He wanted, in a sense, I could just tell, like he wanted me to know if I was feeling that way, he, that I wasn't alone in feeling that way. And I was really thankful for his openness, because a lot of times when pastors get together, it's just easy to just kind of, yeah, yeah, everything's great, and you know, you don't really talk about some of the difficulties. So I was really thankful because ministry is hard. I'm not sharing this to just make you feel sorry for me or, or anything like that, I, but it's hard. There's some really hard days, and this has been a really difficult season for a lot of pastors. And and what this pastor shared with me, it meshes with a lot of things I've heard and read articles and just like pastors are leaving ministry in droves right now. And you might be thinking, boy, Pastor Mike, you really know how to make us feel good at the beginning of a sermon. Like, I'm just getting the warm fuzzies right now. What are you going to tell me next? That like your cat died? Uh, yeah, actually, she did get hit by a car a couple months ago. We didn't share that with you. But uh, so she's gotcha is no longer with us. But that's besides the point. What are you doing, Mike? 
Here's the point. I'm going to bring it back. The point is that I really feel like the Lord sent this guy to me as an encouragement that day. And, I, and I'm not at the place where he was. I'm not there right now. But that doesn't mean that couldn't be there at some point, you know. Just be real. Ministry's hard. And, and I was thankful to him for being an encouragement to me on that day. But, but it's a reminder. Here's what I want us all to be reminded of this morning. Simply this, that we're in a spiritual battle church. We're in a spiritual battle. J.I. Packer says this. He says, Satan always stays active, keeping pace with God. He's cunningly aiming to spoil God's work and thwart his plans to do good for his people and bring praise to his name. He says, so the church must ever be at war with Satan because Satan is always at war with the church. You hear that? The church must always be at war with Satan because Satan is always at war with the church. And that's true. And we need to remember that. And so because of all this and what the Lord's been kind of doing in my heart the last week, this sermon is actually different than I originally intended. We had kind of talked about uh, as a staff just the idea of, we, of going back now, we're done with Missions Month and casting our vision for how we want to reach the nations as a church, but just talking about our mission and vision as a church. And we're going to spend a week talking about that, about our mission as a church, which we talk about all the time, which is to make Christ known from our to the very good. And we were going to talk about our vision as a church, which I do a terrible job of talking about. We don't talk about that very much. But there's three words that if you were on our website, you'd see them. But I don't, we don't talk about them very much. But the way that we want to make Christ known, there's a specific way we want to make Christ known, which is three words, truly, deeply, and widely. If you remember those things, then I'm uh, proud of you for remembering that. But uh, that's, that's the vision of our church, is that we want every member of our church to know Christ Truly, like for who he is, he re has revealed himself to us in his word and through the way, way we preach, through what we sing, through all the things that we do as a church. We want people not just to kind of have this idea of who they think Christ is, but to know who he is, to have sound doctrine of solid, true theological beliefs, to know who Christ is truly. But not only that, we also want every member of our church to know Christ deeply, to know Christ deeply. It's not just a surface level relationship. We don't just call you to this easy believism where it's just, yeah, all you got to do is just pray the prayer and then you're set for life. You don't have to think about Jesus ever again. That's not what following Jesus is all about. We're calling you to a discipleship that Jesus calls us to, which is to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him. It's a discipleship that's costly but it's worth it. And we want every member of Christ, Rub Rock Prairie, to make Christ known widely. We talked about this the last four weeks in this community where he's placed us into the ends of the earth. That's our vision as a church. And so my plan this morning was to preach through each of those things and talk about how we make Christ known truly. Like what things do we do at Rock Prairie to make him known truly? And, and what things do we do to make Christ known deeply? Like it, through your personal discipleship and fellowship with other believers and kind of encourage you to do that. And all that to say, like, I believe these, those things wholeheartedly. I firmly believe in the mission and vision of our church. This is what I want to give my life to because it's biblical. 
This is exactly what God's word calls us to do. I want to pour out my life alongside of you all so that we together do everything we can to make Christ known from our neighbors to the nation and, and nations and to know him truly and deeply and make him known widely. And so if, that's, if you're a member of our church, like I pray that that's your desire as well. But that's kind of like an abbreviated version of what I planned to say this morning. But after talking with that pastor and, and thinking about our church and really praising God that we're in a great spot as a church, that's kind of what I don't want you to think that I think we're like hanging on by a thread. We're not. I think we're in a really, from my vantage point, I think we're in a really good spot as a church. But what I was reminded of is that if we're not careful, we're going to forget that we're in a spiritual battle. And so what I want to do this morning is actually be proactive with some of these things. Not to steal too much of Jerry's thunder for next week, but he's going to talk about in marriage how important it is to be proactively pouring into your marriage so you're not just reacting to problems when they come up. If you're never thinking about your marriage other than just reacting to when problems come up, you're going to be in trouble before too long. And the same is true in the church. If we're not thinking proactively about how we're going to fight this spiritual battle, then all we're going to be doing is be reacting to attacks that Satan is levying against the church. And so we want to make sure that we are being proactive this morning. And so coming off of really an encouraging missions month and heading into, Lord willing, a joyful and encouraging season of ministry, I want to talk about what we need to focus on as a church because I would actually venture to say that our ability to thrive as a church is directly proportional to the way that we're able to live out these verses that we're about to look at in Romans 15. We have to get this right Here's the main point. This is what we're going to see in these verses this morning, if you want to write this down. But this is where we're going this morning. I'll give you my whole sermon in one sentence. A healthy church experiences God-given unity, which results in a gospel culture that brings glory to God. I'll say that again. A healthy church experiences God-given unity, which results in a gospel culture that brings glory to God. We're going to take on each of those things one by one. So first, a healthy church experiences God-given unity. Now the context of these verses in Romans chapter 15 is that Paul has been writing to the church in Rome about a very contentious issue. There's something, there's a theological issue that has kind of wedged its way into the church that's dividing people, that there are godly christ fearing people on either side of this issue, and Paul is writing to them to talk to them about how do you navigate your way through this difficult issue. And the issue he was talking to them about was what kind of foods were acceptable for people to eat. And there he says a lot in Romans chapter 14 about this that we, uh, we can't get into, but the point is Here's the point, is the context of these verses is that Paul is talking them through how they're called to live with one another in the midst of something that could divide their unity. And there's something that has the potential to divide their unity, and Paul is talking to them about how do you walk through the season. And then in Romans chapter 15, verse 5, he interrupts all of this, and he prays for them. And verses 5 through 7 are Paul's prayer for a divided 
church. And these verses just struck me so deeply of the things that we need to be proactive about at Rock Prairie. Not because we're currently divided, because we don't want to ever get to the place where we're divided. And so these are the things that we need to focus on. So this is what, listen to his prayer that he prays over this church in verse 5. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. First of all, I love that he calls God the God of endurance and encouragement. He's the God of endurance and encouragement. Anybody felt exhausted and discouraged recently? I think many of us, probably most of us, if that's you, take heart in this. God is the God of endurance and encouragement. He's the one who gives it to you. You don't need to feel like you need to summon it up yourself. It comes from him. Maybe there's just someone here this morning like, that's your takeaway from the sermon. You've been coming, you walked into church just barely hanging on. Be encouraged, dear brother and dear sister, that God is the God of endurance and encouragement. He will give you what you need, the strength to carry on, and he will encourage you along the way. Praise the Lord that that is our God. And he goes on, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, give you the ability to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. That's really interesting to me. This is Paul's prayer for this church, that God would grant them harmony to live with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. His prayer isn't, may God make those of you who are wrong about this issue realize that you're wrong so that you can all get on the same page and move forward. That's not his prayer. He's praying that God would give them unity. And so the question for us this morning is simply, what does unity look like in 2021? Like, what does that look like right now? How do we do that in a world that feels more divided, certainly than it ever has in my lifetime? How does does the church remain united? How do we avoid being fractured off into different groups, different factions? How do we avoid that? How do we remain united? How do we have harmony to live with one another? The answer is right here in this passage. God grants unity as we live in accordance with Christ Jesus, which is kind of a a confusing phrase in a sense. What it means is, as you follow Jesus. As you follow Jesus together, his prayer is that God would give them harmony with one another and unity. What does that mean for us? It means our job as a church is to keep the gospel as a thing that unites us above everything else. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when churches start to fracture, what happens almost always is that they have elevated a secondary issue to a place of primary importance. It's not always. Paul and Barnabas had disagreement. They ended up going their separate ways because of strategy. But I would say nine times out of ten, when a church fractures or splits, it's because 
They've elevated a secondary issue to a place of primary importance. And boy, does Satan love it when churches do that. He loves it. He loves it when churches get bored enough with the gospel that they feel like they need to move on to just like slay their theological opponents or political opponents about whatever other secondary issues that are of less importance than the gospel of Jesus Christ. He loves that. Now, let's not get there, church. And I think I'd say, I don't want you to think that I'm saying we're here. We're not. By God's grace, we're not here right now. I'd say not even close. I'd say I think we're experiencing great unity as a church right now. But the way, if we want it to stay that way, the way we're going to be able to stay united is by following Jesus together, by keeping the gospel at the center of everything we do. Because when Christ is the one that unites us, truly, then those other issues don't tend to matter as much. It doesn't mean we don't speak like boldly into the culture when things, when God's word calls us to do that. But what it means is we are going to keep the gospel as the primary thing that unites us and not allow ourselves to be separated by other things that Satan wants us to get distracted from. Amen? We may remain united by following Jesus together. And second, a healthy church experiences God-given unity, which results in something. It results in a gospel culture, is what I'm calling it. A gospel culture. Pastor Mike, what do you mean by a gospel culture? Gospel culture means that not only do we believe the gospel, but we believe it in such a way that it profoundly changes how we live. In other words, we can have all the quote-unquote correct theological opinions, but if it doesn't change anything about how we live and relate to one another, specifically within the church, it doesn't mean anything. I go to the dentist every six months, and you're supposed to, and every six months the hygienist tells me how important it is for me to floss, and I do floss. I floss probably the next day after I go to the dentist, and then six months later, the day before I uh, have to go the next day. And then I go, my gums are all bleeding, I never learned my lesson. Sorry, I know we have some hygienists in our congregation. I apologize. It's the reason I uh, don't go see you. (laughs) Guilty conscience. So do I really believe that it's important to floss? I mean, kind of, but not really. Faith without works is dead, right? I can say I have faith in the dangers of plaque, but I cannot show it to you by my works. I'm going to talk about that in James in a couple weeks. The point is we could get everything right doctrinally. Our website could have just like the best statement of faith ever. If we're not living it out, it's not worth anything. And I think there's a lot of churches that are like that. I'm not picking on any churches necessarily, but certainly you can imagine that there's churches that they're right theology. You walk in the doors, it's like, is is the joy of the Lord in this place at all? Has anyone been changed by Jesus? Paul says it like this. This is how we're supposed to do it in verse 7 of our passage. He says, therefore, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Welcome one another. This idea of welcome, this is a deep thing. It's not just like saying hi to each other. I was listening to a, a podcast recently, and the pastor was talking about this verse, and he was saying, if, if it's just like saying hi to each other at church, then it would say, uh, say hi to one another as Christ has said hi to you, right? It doesn't make any sense. This is a deep welcome. This is a welcome 
that we have received in the gospel because of what Christ has done in our hearts, that's, called, that's how we're, we're called for that to overflow in the way that we live with one another. Welcome Christ. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Welcomed you. Every Sunday we talk about this. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was our story, all of us, before Christ, but God... Praise the Lord, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. And that same grace that we have been saved by is what we're called to show to one another. You know, the parable of the man who had been forgiven this enormous debt. He wasn't going to be able to pay it, and it was wiped away. And what did he do? He turned around to a guy who, who owed him just a tiny debt, and he demanded that that be paid to him. That's what we do when we treat others in a different way than Christ has treated us. Well, this is the welcome we've received. While you were dead in your sins, our merciful God raised us to life. So we're called to welcome one another in the same way. This is all connected to that previous point about unity. This is what Tim Keller says about this. He said, listen to this. For a person without a grasp of the gospel, for someone who doesn't understand the gospel, differences of opinion and practice are huge and insurmountable. If you have not allowed the grace of Christ to truly change your heart, then if somebody has a different opinion than you or practices something different than you, you're going to think that's like, I can't get past that. If you don't understand all the things that Christ got past... In loving you. But if we grasp justification, he says, that we are accepted in spite of our deficiencies and flaws, we will be enabled to accept others despite their deficiencies and flaws. You see that? You see how Christ has accepted you despite your sin. He doesn't hold it against you. Imagine if he did. Imagine if every time you went to the Lord in prayer, he was just so still holding all your sin over you, mad that he had to pay the penalty for that sin, right? You can't have a relationship that way. And so we cannot live that way with others. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Like I said last week, I think we do a good job at this by and large, as a church, like one of the most encouraging things to me is when I see and hear stories of people in our church showing tremendous sacrificial love to other people in our church. Like that spurs me on so much. Those are the things that encourage me. I think we do well at this, but um, doesn't mean we can't improve on this. And I think the main thing is we need to remember why we're called to live and love one another this way, right? Because it's not just that, it's not just small town who's your hospitality, because of the grace that we've been given in Christ. So we're called to pour ourselves out for others in the same way that Christ did for us. Praise the Lord for that. I actually had an, I experienced this with somebody just a couple weeks ago uh, when my friends were here. Remember my friend Dustin, the missionary friend who spoke 
a few weeks ago, and he brought uh, another high school friend of mine, Scott, was here with him. And Scott is, was uh, my best friend in high school. I don't know if I've really had another friend, maybe one or two other friends in my life like Scott. He was my best friend. And uh, one, one thing that I am not good at is uh, staying in touch with people after we've moved around a bunch of times. And, and I've always just kind of, uh, by and large, lost contact with a lot of people. And that's to be expected when you move a lot of times. But, but with Scott, I've always just known, like, I wasn't doing what I needed to do, and, uh, and I was failing him as a friend. And I had, like, carried this guilt with me uh, for a long time with him. And I hadn't seen him. When I found out that he was coming, I was excited to see him, but I was a little nervous because I hadn't seen him in nine years. And uh, I'm, I'm only 32 years old, so that's a good chunk of my life. And, um, and I've just felt I've carried this guilt with me for a long time. And I didn't know how it, what it was going to be like to see him. And, and it was I, really a joy to see him. I saw him in the lobby here at the church. And then after church, we went to Los Portales for lunch, and myself and Scott and Dustin. And I looked at Scott, and I was like, man, I don't know how to apologize for nine years of, like, failing you as a friend. Like, nine years. I said, but I'm so sorry. And he looked at me, and he just said, it's okay, I forgive you. And I knew he meant it. Like, that was like, I, I, it's, it's hard to even convey it in, a, in an illustration like this, but I just knew he meant, like, it was just gone. Like, he wasn't holding anything against me. He said, I'd love to have you and your family. Well, next time you're in Archbold, and you have you and your family come over and, and meet my family. We would just really, we would just really, really love that. And uh, then he came over, he's the kind of guy he is, he, fit right in here and tipped and he came over and installed a toilet for me that I was having trouble installing so but man that was like he welcomed me like like I've been welcomed by Christ because he forgave me and I'd like legitimately sinned against him and he forgave me and man what kind of church could we be if we all were like that with everybody all the time because of what Christ has done in us. Again, not just because it's the right thing to do, not just because we live in a small town, you know, because what Christ has done in my heart and wiping away my record of debt. I'm going to choose to show you radical grace. And when we do that, we have radical unity. That's the kind of church that Jesus is calling us to be. And when that happens, it brings tremendous glory to God. And that's the last point. We've seen verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God. Is God not glorified when we live this way? Unity is supernatural. It doesn't just happen. Nobody just wakes up and says, wow, we're just super united. It takes work. Same with grace. It takes work. We don't coast toward it. It doesn't make it any easier that we are in a spiritual battle and we have an enemy who's actively working to try to keep us from unity. There's a reason that Jesus and Paul talk about unity in the church so much. It's so important and it's something that Satan is always working to destroy. So let's keep on, church. Let's keep on. Let's keep Christ at the center. Let's keep the gospel as our primary motivation for everything that we do. Let's be a church that continues to pursue unity in the most fractured and divided time that I can ever remember. 
by keeping the gospel at the center and not allowing these secondary issues to be elevated to primary importance. And let's be a church that welcomes one another with the same welcome that we have been given in Christ Jesus, overflowing with grace. As we do that, we'll be a church that brings glory to God. It's about his name. He must increase. We must decrease. I'm proud of you, church. I really am. I love being your pastor. It is one of the great joys of my life and the great blessings. And so just as we are in many ways excelling in these things, let's just keep on. That's just what I mean. I don't want us to coast. I don't want us to think that none of these things could happen to us. I say let's keep on. Let's keep remembering that we're in a spiritual battle. Let's pursue a radical unity and a radical grace with one another and remember our calling as we seek to know Christ truly and deeply and make him known widely from our neighbors to the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the way that we've been welcomed in Christ Jesus. Lord, I think of the story of the prodigal son. He squandered his father's inheritance. He lived in sin and squalor. And he knew his only hope was maybe if he could go back His father might accept him not as a son, but just as a servant. And God, he rehearsed the speech in his head that he was going to try to just beg for mercy from his father. And when he arrived, his father ran out to greet him and threw his arms around him. He wouldn't even listen to his reasoning. He just welcomed him in because his son was home. That's the welcome that we've received in Christ Jesus, God. So help us to be a church that welcomes one another that same way in unity we stand up in a divided culture and we say, even though we don't maybe agree on everything, God, we agree on the most important thing, that Jesus Christ is king, he's Lord of all. He rules, he reigns, and he's coming back one day. Help us to be that kind of church, God. Be near to us, protect us. We know the evil one is going to levy his attacks, God, and so we are just going to pray. And trust that as we put on the armor of God, we will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Because this battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and principalities and authorities. So protect us, God. Thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the ways that in many ways we are excelling in loving one another. And living in sacrificial love with each other, God. May we do that just more and more. And as we do that, may we bring glory to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.